0: Welcome to the second podcast in the new series of the Hollywell Trust Conversations. So in this series, we're looking at challenges facing the northwest of Ireland and Northern Ireland as a whole. And it's our intention that listeners will have more information on difficulties and challenges we're facing. Uh, but also with ideas on how we can better address them. And then the first of the new podcast, we reflected on the negotiations that led to the Good Friday Agreement and what those negotiations might tell us about how we can get a better place today, given that that we are yet again in one of those frequent periods in which our politics are not working um, and we have no current functioning Northern Ireland Assembly or Executive. So today we're examining a challenge that is both specific to Derry and the North West, but also, again, to Northern Ireland as a whole, and that is the funding of the community and voluntary sector. Um, And looking at that, I'm once again joined by Paul Gosling. Paul, how are you? I'm grand. How are you, Gerard? I'm dead on. I'm sure it's a nice day. Um, So, Paul, can you explain a wee bit more about what it is we're going to look at today? Yes, uh, uh, thanks, Gerard. We're examining the background to what has been a big
1: local political argument, uh, with local voluntary groups and charities losing funding and having other bids for new funding rejected. Uh, The first row was a result of the rejection of all local bids to the second round of the levelling up fund. And that was followed by a number of local groups finding at the very last minute that they were not receiving funding that they had expected from the UK government's shared prosperity fund, which replaced the European Social
0: Fund, or ESF. We lost the ESF, of course, as a result of Brexit. OK, so Paul, talk us through a wee bit of the criteria, the funds and the schemes, please.
1: Yeah, that's, that's very important because I think there's, there's a lack of understanding exactly what the criteria are. So let's look first at the levelling up fund. Uh, that's a UK-wide government scheme, which, as the name suggests, is supposed to assist with those areas that are deprived to move closer in terms of economic outcomes to the most wealthy areas. And we would hope that Derry would get a large share of that money, given that in, it's the most deprived part of Northern Ireland, and mm. by some measures, actually, it's the most deprived part of the UK. But certainly, Northern Ireland, by many measures, is the most deprived region of the UK. OK, and
0: the criteria for the funds?
1: Yeah, in the first levelling up fund round, there was £49 million pounds coming into Northern Ireland, which was focused on infrastructure. In the second round, this increased to £71 million. The objective is for the fund to cut crime where it is worst, provide incomes for those who need it most, transform the economy by generating higher-paid and higher-skilled jobs, and to attract new investment. Okay, so who was successful in getting money in this area then? So the Derry and Council District actually did very well out of the first round of the Leveling Up Fund. It had several schemes ready to go, which got through the process. So Derry and Straban had £16 million pounds approved out of the total £49 million allocated to Northern Ireland. So, so vastly more than our share mm-hmm. if it was going by population alone. The Derg community infrastructure got £6.4 million, which is to improve public space in the village centre. Then you have the Daisy Field Sports Hub, which had 40, 4.2 million, not 42, £4.2 million approved for a new building next to the River Foyle by the recreation area known locally as The Line, uh, with the new boxing and snooker facilities and football changing rooms. And the third successful bid was the Acorn Farm, which received the go-ahead for £5.6 million for an urban farm on the disused part of St Columns Park. Uh, it's the old helipad that was used by the Ministry of Defence in the park, for anyone who knows it. That bid was led by the Community Foundation of Northern Ireland, whose Shauna Kelpie now explains the project and the process to apply for funding.
2: So the Acorn Farm, it's an urban farm, but well, it's a bit of a project as well. So what is going to end up being as an urban farm, but what it currently is, a series of development and engagement projects that are happening across the city with local families, teaching them how to grow food at home. And that's building up to a natural capital build, which will be a demonstration site for all types of growing, especially in relation to the effects of our food choices on climate. So it's an educational and engagement project that ultimately culminates in a build of a farm.
1: You're one of the few schemes in Derry that was successful in getting levelling up fund, which is uh, funding, which has caused a bit of concern locally. The other projects weren't successful. How, how did you find the process? Was it an easy one? Was it Well,
2: just- it was difficult. I mean, you know, I'm taking no credit for that, by the way, um, but our project, because it was a pilot project, the acorn farm project was a pilot one that began about probably five years ago. So we've been working on this idea of working towards an urban farm for a long time um, and how that was going to evolve. We weren't sure, but it was something that we just, you know, a group of people, this partnership that it is. We just kept ploughing at it, really, to use a, the term, to use the pun. But we just kept working at it, and eventually there was an authenticity to it. So we had this great funding support from Lottery, which um, paid for the pilot project. We had over 100000 for that, um, and that helped us to start it off. And there was tremendous success. So then that enabled us to sort of really develop the idea, get some planning sorted. We were able to draw up what the project going to look like and then the timing of the UK Level and Up Fund just happened to be coincidental. Now, all of the big business case and all of that financial stuff and all of the economic forecasts, all of that then was able to be done because we had something to discuss. We weren't making a project that was about the UK Level and Up Fund. We had a project that was already kind of going somewhere and was in development. And then the UK Level and Up Fund really just cemented that and made that possible. So... We didn't run after the funding of the UK Level Up Fund. It just so happened that it coincided at the same time.
1: And you were handling that through civil servants in, in England, is that right?
2: Yeah, I think they have local offices as well here. So, um, you know, there's a lot of engagement with them. So the people who were supplying the business cases, I suppose there was a lot of interaction with them. And the process was long, it was very detailed. But I think at that level, it always is, and especially around capital.
1: And if anyone's listening to this thinking about putting in a bid to leveling up fund, what would you say to them as advice? Would you say do doing- it? Yeah,
2: I would. Yeah. 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 I mean, obviously, I think you need to have those additional skills and it's costly. You know, you need to have people who understand business case. You need to invest in the time, it is a long process. But what I would say is have something that that you actually believe in because the amount of effort it takes, you really do need to have that. and You can't just run after the money. And I think that's what came across in our project. It was just, it was already, it was going there and it just needed that additional support to really make it uh, happen.
1: And when you say it's a long process, what does that mean in terms of when you initially put in the levelling up fund bid to when you actually got uh, agreement?
2: I think it was probably about six months for us, but... As I said, we already had a lot of the work done. And that took us two years to do that. And as I said, a previous two years before that, I don't know that we're the typical case that this project is the typical UK level and up fund, you know, project. But I'd say a lot of people who do have projects out there, especially if they're, you know, working in collaboration, because it is a collaboration project. Often, you know, they already have a lot of the base work done and you're just putting icing on the cake and bringing in that expertise around business case and economic forecasting. Not a lot of groups would have that. You know, a lot of community groups wouldn't have that background. But when you partner well with people who have that, then that's a great combination. And I think that's what really shone through about us with the UK Leveling Up, because it was a wholesome, authentic partnership. What I'm saying to anybody who's starting off um, with the UK Leveling Up Fund you know, if you've got a project, a substantial project like ours, you know, you've probably got the work, a lot of it done. But I wouldn't just dream something up out of nowhere. You would need to have, you know, had a good bit of work done beforehand. As I said, ours was two years before that. Then the levelling up fund was announced and then we were able to supply or, you know, make an application into it.
1: Now, incidentally, Northern Ireland as a whole was not very successful in getting money from the levelling up fund. Wales got the most per head of the population. Followed by the northwest of England, the north east, the east midlands, and Scotland, and only then Northern Ireland, which is surprising given the level of debt deprivation and economic weakness here. London received, as you'd expect, the least per head of population. And can we trust those figures, Paul? Uh, given that they were published by the House of Commons Library, then actually, yes, we can. And now, the thing is that Derry and Strabane did so well proportionally from the first round of the levelling up fund that, not surprisingly, in the second round, it got nothing at all. Now, the biggest winners were seafront regeneration in Bangor and a cinema refurbishment in East Belfast. There is obvious controversy about those decisions, the locations that were chosen for the funding, and also whether all the projects met the core
0: criteria of the levelling up fund. Okay, so that's the situation, Paul, with the levelling up fund. Can you explain to us now about the European Social Fund and its replacement? Yeah, I'll try and do that.
1: Uh, so Northern Ireland received £40 million pounds a year from the European Union's European Social Fund. This provided very important finance for much of the charitable, voluntary and community sector in Northern Ireland. But following Brexit, this was replaced by the Shared Prosperity Fund, a UK government scheme. The criteria were that applications should support local businesses to innovate and grow, support individuals furthest from the labour market to move into work, and to improve the sense of local community. Proposals should also dovetail with other government programmes. Uh, but many people expected that following Brexit, the UK government would continue to fund projects in the same way. That hasn't happened. That's not been the case. Mm-hmm. Instead, the government's new shared prosperity fund provided £57 million over two years. So that's a cut of £23 million pounds over a two-year period in cash terms. And given that inflation is running at around 10%, that's an even bigger cut in real terms. And timing of the fund also made things worse as well. Oh, infinitely Gerard, yes. Uh, The government made a complete mess of the whole process. The call for applications was very late and the announcement of which groups were being funded was made literally on the last day it could have been. This meant that the voluntary sector had issued protective notice of redundancy to staff who are coming into the office without knowing if they had a job the next week. So you actually had people working on the Friday who found out on the Friday morning, that they weren't actually in work the following Monday, they'd lost their jobs. Mm. Now, the government required organisations to club together to make their bids, pushing groups to form new partnerships very fast. When the news came in, there was bad news for the Derry Women's Centre, which lost the funding it received from the European Social Fund, as did other women's centres locally, and the Derry Youth and Community Workshops. Now, let's listen to Catherine Barr at the Women's Centre in Derry explain the process and the outcome from their point of view. Thanks very much, Catherine, for, for doing this. Tell me, first of all, how much European Social Fund funding did the Women's Centre of Derry receive? Uh,
3: 350,000.
1: And what services and staff did that provide for?
3: So we would have had six staff that were running the programme, but we also would have had 10 maybe chitters that were procured to come in and offer qualifications and services. So, you're talking maybe a total of 16 staff all together that we would have worked on the programme.
1: And the women benefiting from the the training, I mean, how important was it for the women who were receiving the training?
3: So, it was women who were the furthest from the labour market. So, our project has always been working with economically inactive and unemployed, which this UK share prosperity bracket was economically inactive three quarters of our outcomes is economically inactive. And we met them every year, and we up for targets every year because we've been doing it for 10 years. um, And we've always achieved our outcomes or overachieved the outcomes. So obviously it was a shock whenever we received it, being an economically inactive activity in the ESF, that we weren't successful on this one. We have received nothing from the UK Shared Prosperity Fund. The important thing about a women's centre—it's a wraparound program, just a whole lot of support under the one roof.
1: And I know you've done a lot of work, for example, with uh, Syrian migrants, haven't you?
3: Yeah, we would have through the VPRS scheme. We would have delivered English to the to the parents. Um, now they're here five years, and like some of them have are done amazing. Have achieved their level two essential skills with themselves. It shows that the work that we do. It matters and it makes a difference in people's lives.
1: And it's the training programs that are going to be lost as a result of this, as well as the providers. And presumably, the women receiving this would be typically from economically deprived parts of the city and economically deprived families.
3: Yeah, like we're like we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis, which is hitting all our women hard, you know. And we're part of a women's regional consortium. And at the minute, um, we're doing research on the cost of living. And we there was focus groups held with with the women within our centre and within the women in Belfast centres and all around Northern Ireland. And, you know, and we're only at gathering those statistics and, and looking at what the research is showing us. And the things that you're hearing and then focus groups is just like heartbreaking, you know, that going to the cinema, taking your child out, there's no money in any budgets for, any, for families to do that. They're rationing baby food. You know, um, they're wearing nappies for longer in children because because they don't have enough money. They buy nappies to put them through the day. There's women that's going hungry and not feeding themselves to be able to feed their children. So having a service here that was free, that they could come and do, the children could get put in the creche, the children got fed a, a snack while they were in crash, They got interacting with other children that maybe they don't have time, to, they don't have enough money to do to fund themselves. And they were getting to be in a warm building with other mothers or other or women and they were getting a cup of tea. That is not, it is education and training. It's also a huge part of mental health and wellbeing for women that they had the choice of being able to do that. So not having those services there and not being able to engage in our programs around our town because there's a buyer to check here is obviously it's worrying, you know, that, 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 that this is where we are at this moment in time, that these services are not being funded for women.
1: And you've also got the situation where you've got six staff that presumably are directly employed by the women's centre and another 10 that would be what indirectly self-employed. Uh, so they won't be subject to a, a, a statutory redundancy process, but the six staff will be. So if you only got the notice the day before, basically the new financial year, uh, what's that redundancy process been for those six workers who have been sitting there for months wondering about whether they continue to have a job and now they find they haven't? I mean, how have you handled that redundancy process?
3: Well, we, we knew that, you know, that there was a chance... That it might not even happen. We're blowing the fist. We've been in Zooms. I've been in Zooms for the past two, nearly three years, talking about this cliff edge and being in the forum and talking to government departments and saying this is what's going to happen. That this this can't happen. We need we need support. We need structure. We need to be preparing ahead. You know. So we were doing all those things, but even though we were doing those things, we still were issuing our staff at Christmas a three month later that. The jobs might not be there that's such a worry you know and then bringing them in the month before and still saying you know it's not esf funded it is different this time so we were, we were preparing for it but I suppose at the same time the staff are saying but sure how how could they stop what we do like look, look what we do it's it's amazing like there's no way They're not going to fund women that are economically inactive in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis when the programmes were economically inactive. So although we prepared for it, we hoped and wished that it wouldn't come to that and that we would be coming in on the 1st of April, business as normal, putting out a timetable and starting to bring 80, 90 new women within the first month or two under the programme. So obviously it was devastating for them um, because they have... Mortgages. They have families. They have um bills to pay. You know, and again, they're now starting to look at our jobs, but also registering for Universal Credit. And we know the impact that Universal Credit has, and that the six weeks wouldn't get paid. And so obviously, they're they know what they have to face because we deal with the women that are are facing it. You know, and it's it's not an easy climb. We'll continue to, to push out. And, and focus and try and get these services back in. But obviously, it, it's a huge
1: loss. I mean, it's obviously very distressing for yourselves as well as the six women concerned that they were going into work in the last week of March, expecting to be working in the first week of April and finding they're not.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And half ten, that came through, you know, like even that week and the lead-up or the weeks in the lead-up that was huge anxiety and stress on people. Um, being, Even being able to concentrate to do the job that, that you're in and be able to strategic plan forward for what for what's to come. You can't wrap your head around that. And like, even if they had it, came out and announced a statement and said, right, on the 31st, or, there will be an announcement. I think that would help groups even to think, well, how many times I've been online and refreshed and checked, and you know, hoping to see that that email's come through. Um, it would have been just nice to even been given a bit in time that you knew it was going to happen.
1: And when was it that you had to put your bid in for the Shared Prosperity Fund to replace the ESF funding? I mean, that must have gone in quite a long time ago now.
3: Well, the week before Christmas, we were given the the application launched to begin. At the end of January.
1: So the end of January this year? The
3: end of January this year. So the
1: whole, so from the UK government's point of view, that whole process was very close to the cliff edge. It wasn't simply they made the decision so close to the end of the financial year. It's also the fact that it was only the end of the calendar year. They basically got themselves into gear to ask groups to, to bid for it.
3: Yeah, that's correct. It was a long time of campaigning and asking when is it coming out and trying to push on that forum that we were on. Due that's, to just chaotic,
1: that's just a chaotic system, isn't it?
3: Like If we hadn't been doing all that and raising all the awareness and being on the news and doing reports in the lead-up, then it wouldn't have just been a edge for the women of Derry. It would have been a edge for the whole women and men and all families across Northern Ireland and all the organisations.
1: And how difficult was the, the funding application process itself? I mean, clearly... It was so late; it was difficult. But was were they difficult processes? Were you, did you have much contact with officials? Was it a friendly process?
3: Well, it was just kind of there it is, and get it done and get it done, you know. And over your Christmas break, you know, and they they asked for collaborative buds. They want you, you. weren't allowed to come on your own. You had to come on. You had to come on a joint up process. So you're making connections with other organisations. To come to come together, then you've got an application that has a five hundred word count for maybe a question, and you're told maybe you can go over a bit of the word count, but you know and around that, and it's like, how do you have six organisations that offer six different types of services to economically inactive people, all come together, all put, you know, organisations are being rushed to do that,
1: and so what what. Response have you had from the government. What have they said about why you haven't? They said they they you you reached the the threshold for consideration, but the yeah. ministers didn't choose you. Basically,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically what it was. There it was done to the assessment prior We passed the gateway. It did not score high enough against the published assessment criteria, or taken into account the ministerial considerations.
1: And do you know what that means? No yeah
3: so it's it, it says we didn't get the points or it was so we could have had just just as a good application form and reached the marks the same as everybody else but it or came join the ministerial considerations
1: and the other thing Catherine and just finishing on this really is you're not the only women's centre in Northern Ireland that has lost funding after this that was funded by ESF and is no longer funded under the shared prosperity fund are you
3: we have Kulculi Women's Centre as well, that so was a huge shock. And there's nowhere in their area that is uh, going to be delivering services. And they had a large ESF programme, just the same as herself. And I think they had a community renewal fund programme, the pilot programme before that. So they were providing great services as well. And it came to shock. And I think everybody's just in shock because it's something that has been there for so long. We're not a third sector that we're referred to. We are the community and voluntary sector. We are a big part of our community. And we are catching the net for many individuals that are very vulnerable, that are falling through. And it's going to put more pressure on the benefit system. It's going to put more pressure on our health system and our justice system. So removing these programs and not having them. And it's a small amount of funding for what's being returned. It's trying to figure out how the government's gonna put an hour things for these people in place.
0: Okay, but it wasn't all bad news, Paul. There was some good news for dairy. Yeah, there was one dairy-based bid that was
1: successful, which was two million pounds for Triax. That's two million over two years, with its success Northwest program with support from community projects, Dove House, and also across the waterside, Chantello, Craig and Claudie, Noni, uh, Glen and Strabane. Uh, now we can hear now from Charles Lamberton of Triax on, on the beard, his feelings about it, uh, and also what enabled them to have success in obtaining funding.
4: We received £1.97 million uh, over two years, so in and around £1 million per year. And it'll run a skills project uh, across Derry and Strabane. We have community partners in every DEA, from Castlederic right through to Ballyearnet. It'll be an extension or a sort of follow-on from our previous ESF programmes, Skills Northwest and that. But where Skills Northwest and ESF was a bit restrictive around level one qualifications, we believe we may be able to do more sort of wider and offer a wider range of courses than this.
1: So will it still be level one or are you moving up to level two?
4: We're hoping that we're in a position to offer what people require if people require level one, we will. But a previous, we found being only offered level one was a restriction. So in this programme, if somebody needs a level two or a level three, we hope to be in a position to offer that level of courses to get people closer and more ready for, for employment.
1: And what skills areas will you be focusing
4: on? This programme, I suppose, essentially is tailored at the person, pool. So whatever they present, uh, we're working closely with the Northwest Regional College and the Dairy City and Sri Council. And we'll be hoping that they work alongside those bodies and others and community partners and individuals to assist the person uh, and where they want to go. It is aimed at people, those that are economically inactive other than those that are unemployed and in retraining. So it's not per se a retraining course. It's aiming at people who are economically inactive and there may be very soft skills and very soft interventions to get people ready and sort of even ocean to get back into the employment market. Because I think that's an issue as well for some people.
1: So if I understand you right, there's, there's going to be a mix in terms of some of it being... Uh, social skills in terms of supporting the individual to to uh, deal with their personal challenges about why they're not in work some of it will be perhaps delivering yourselves skills and some of it will be working with delivery partners such as the regional college to enable people to to have higher level skills through the regional college is that is that the the type yeah
4: that's exactly i mean that's exactly the concept but primarily It's the individual. We've got mentoring officers right across the district in every district and every DEA uh, with our community partners. So mainly their job is to engage the person, work out a path and a journey and a training plan with them and assist them. And if that does lead them to Northwest Regional College or if that leads them to a community training partner, or we may then, as in previous programmes, we would have tendered out and run our own program, training programmes as well. So if there's eight or ten people needed a driving licence or SIA badges or things like that, we would facilitate and procure and run those.
1: And how does the funding compare with what you got under the European Social Fund?
4: Well, it's probably in and around the same. But when you take on inflation and other costs, I'm sure the training costs will, will have increased. But we're happy enough with what we got Unfortunately, and when we were looking through it, we're the only dairy and strabang based group that got. Uh, So, on that basis, it ain't enough and it ain't ain't anywhere close to being enough. Previously, I think there were four or five ESF projects based in dairy. So, if you take that alone, I mean, dairy has lost out probably in the region of maybe five, six, eight million pounds. I mean, you've said that
1: the money is similar. But the remit is slightly different in terms of it being more ambitious. So, can you talk a bit more about
4: how it di- differs from what you were delivering under the European Social Fund? I mean, it's probably the same. And I, I suppose that the difficulty that we're going to face is targeting people who are economically inactive and getting government to define exactly who they are and what they mean. Where previously, if you were unemployed, and wish for retraining. You know, we were there for people. You know, in other a factory was made redundant. We, were, we, at times, were able to step in and support the retraining or, or signposting or whatever. That ain't the case anymore in this program. I mean, they're very much on economically inactive, which is, I mean, they're, they're defining it. I mean, I, I can't remember offhand the exact definition, but it's not per, per se somebody who's unemployed because if you're unemployed, actively seeking work, they don't class that as economically inactive.
1: And, of course, when we're looking at people who are economically inactive, while low skills is a factor in that, I mean, core reasons include ill health, uh, the effects yep. of trauma, lack of childcare, I mean, and yep. uh, other caring responsibilities. So so those are all things that are preventing people from being in work. But then it's going to be difficult for you to support them in
4: dealing with some of those issues. Yeah, 100%. And, and I, I suppose that is the challenge for us in this project, that is a mobilization or bedding in period that we have to now move towards. And we also have to work with our partners and fully explain that out. It isn't, you know, a, a couple of young people coming through youth club or whatever that you may have worked with in the past and supported them when they had eighteen or nineteen and they were sort of finding their way, or a, a group of women who children are sort of mind and responsible and caring responsibilities that they've been to school. That's the type of people we would have targeted in previous programs, but they may not be eligible for this program, which it leaves us then in a difficulty of having to try, sort of try and work with people without turning people away, because it's not something that we try that we do in the community and voluntary sector is turn people away. But there is you no, know, we could train a whole lot of people, and then the, our funders say, well, that's not the people we want to train, training them. That becomes a, an issue.
1: And there's been a lot of criticisms about the Shared Prosperity Fund. I mean, how did you find the process? Did you find it an easy one? Was it difficult? What do you think was the the key factors in you being successful?
4: Without any sort of real feedback, Paul, we don't know why we're successful, apart from we would say that we put together a very strong, but I mean, my view, I mean, it's been a view for quite a while, and I would have said it was the same. Our unique selling point and strength was that we were in every DEA, with community-based partners, and I think that was a very strong selling point. The process uh, you asked about that, In a whole lot of ways, it was very similar to a whole lot of all our processes that we've been through in the community and voluntary sector. They opened, they give you a date, they submit an application. Uh, a number of people pulled it together, but the the process in itself and how it was drawn out, I mean, I mean, they, they say the least was disgraceful. I mean. We were told that this would be a succession project. We were told that this project would be this process would be ready last summer. I mean, I can show you reports where I wrote the report to my board that you no, know, we're expecting it out in early summer, we're expecting it out in September, October, December, blah, blah blah blah. Uh, it came out December, we applied. I mean, we got an email at 10.35 on the last day, uh, and I suppose. For us, that was okay in that we were successful, but the the unsuccessful projects get the exact same email. I mean, I was speaking to other people. I mean, so even how people were treated, if you asked me, it was despicable. We, we were dealing with probably 40 to 60% of the previous year's funding, and, and in that Probably more people, because it was an open call, more people applied as well. So that was making the, the pot smaller and smaller by the hour.
0: And was that it, as far as
1: Derry was concerned then? Uh, not entirely, no, Jard. Uh, there were several Northern Ireland-wide projects that obtained money from the Shared Prosperity Fund. Uh, these were the Women's Resource and Development Agency, which did include funds for some women's centres, though not those in Derry. Uh, there was also uh, funding for across Northern Ireland for Youth Action, Enterprise Northern Ireland, including for both the North West and Straban centres, uh, NACRO, Action Mental Health uh, and also the Work It Out programme and also for
0: supported employment. So yeah, there were Northern Ireland schemes that included Derry. Okay. Well, thanks Paul. That's a very comprehensive rundown of what has happened through the UK's Leveling Up Fund and the Shared Prosperity Fund. There were winners and losers, but a cut in funding locally and across Northern Ireland in terms of replacement of the ESF um, by the Shared Prosperity Fund. Though, in fairness, we should say that the amount lost by the replacement of the ESF by SPF, all these letters, uh, is less than the extra funding received from the Leveling Up Fund. So we'll leave it to the listeners to make up their own minds, Paul, whether the funding allocations are fair, whether they meet the criteria, and whether Dairy and the wider northwest has received their fair share. And this is always gonna be a heavy political debate here. So thanks to Shauna, Catherine and Charles for their interviews. Paul yourself for all the work as you do that you do as always and for Michael for editing this podcast and to the Community Relations Council for funding Hollywood Trust Conversations series of podcasts. So next time we'll look at another issue of Syrian political controversy and that is proposals to withdraw the UK from the European Convention on Human Rights and the progress of the government's own Bill of Rights which is going through uh, the House of Parliament and how those moves will affect Northern Ireland. Okay, chat is again soon.